It is Thursday, the 10th of December, 2020. We have a guest on today's show, Fearless Fred Kennedy, and you're listening to the Handsome Genius Club radio show. Hey kids, welcome to the show. My name is Kingdom, Anthony Kingdom James, a.k.a. Anthony Rutgazer. And yes, uh, I promised we were going to start getting back to more interviews. That happens today with our friend, Fearless Fred Kennedy. If you don't know who Fred is, uh, stick around. You're going to you're going to love this guy. Uh, uh, comic book writer. Well, listen, there's an intro. You're going to get an intro. <laughs> Trust me. Stick around. Uh, if you're a Star Wars fan, if if you're a comic book reader, stick around. It's going to be really good. Uh, and of course, today, December 10th, is uh, the 20th anniversary of my first night as a strip club DJ. 20 full years of it, although I've spent most of this current calendar year uh, in lockdown because of our friend COVID-19. Um, but that is coming to an end it seems like uh just a couple of days ago the first vaccinations uh outside of uh, uh trial uh, you know clinical trials were handed out in the uk uh, I, it looks like we're just a few months away from maybe returning to something that resembles our old quote-unquote normal so um yeah, so I'm not really celebrating the 20th anniversary today. If if I were at work, I might do something. But other than to acknowledge that this is it, uh, then, well, this is it. <laughs> All right, let's throw in the record scratch and then Fearless Fred Kennedy. Comic book writer, comedian, cartoon voice, TV host, family man, and fairly good guy. Today's guest is the afternoon drive jock on Toronto's venerable Q107, classic rock radio station, as well as the host of his own podcast, Issue Zero. Issue Zero is currently the home of his latest creation, a Star Wars audio drama entitled Mud 79. Guys, gals, and non-binary pals, it is my pleasure to introduce fearless Fred Kennedy to the Handsome Genius Club radio show. Hello, Fred. Hold on. Now that I'm on Handsome Genius Club Radio, am I allowed to wear a shirt? Yeah. I thought you had okay. a shirt. I didn't. I was going to buy one at the con in March that got canceled. <laughs> 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 All right. We'll, 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 we'll arrange that. Yeah, of course okay, you can. Okay, good. Wear a I'll shirt. get one of those. Yeah. All right. I want one. Yes. So, listen, let's not waste any time here. Tell us about Mud 79. What is it about, and what inspired you to put this together? Um, it's a Star Wars audio drama that is basically Platoon meets Star Wars. Um, I wanted to tell a story from the Imperial perspective, um, but I didn't want to tell a story about stormtroopers, and I wanted to uh, take a look at the multiple perspectives one could find in an entity as large as the Galactic Empire. And there was, there was a few big influences. The two, the two big ones, um, well, number one, there was this, uh, painting that I saw online years ago. And if you've ever looked for 
Star Wars art. I guarantee you've seen this picture, and it's a painting that this guy from Italy did of a scout trooper, and he's leaned up against the tree, and he's muddy, and he's dirty, and he's holding uh, an E-11S sniper rifle, if you must know. <laughs> and But it has this sense of hopelessness. And I always built this story up that this, this scout trooper is left on a planet after the Battle of Endor when the Empire is folding up on itself and he's kind of there and it's like there's no resupply, there's no reinforcements, you fight it till you die, so this is the line in the sand. And that's the message that I got out of that picture. And it was a few years ago. Well, I, I normally do it every year, but I had to pause it this year because of COVID. But I do a 24-hour walk to raise funds for the Children's Wish Foundation. And the last time I did it, we were like, what are we going to watch? Because we put stuff on the TV. You watch stuff while you're walking. And I watched eight episodes of that Ken Burns Vietnam War doc. Oh, man. And there was – I found such – relatable content in it, not just as a person, but there's this one guy in particular, and he starts talking about how he grew up in a house in the Midwest, rural farming community, and his dad fought in the Second World War. His brother fought in Korea. He had two other cousins that fought in Korea. One of them died. And so when JFK is on TV saying, don't ask what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. And he said, he goes, I'm living in this town. I don't want to be a farmer. And I'm not a good enough football player to go pro. And I didn't have the grades to go to college. So I went to Vietnam. And it was just this cavalier way that he said it. And then as the, the series goes on, this guy, they keep coming back to him. And he starts getting more and more emotional about how what he thought he was doing was not what he wound up doing. Right. And how it was the most horrible experience that he could have ever imagined worse than he could imagine. And so I thought to myself, like the, when we take a look at the galactic Republic, like people forget how big it is. And they also don't really pay attention to how it works from a political standpoint. Like there's 13 grand moths okay? and each of the grand moths controls a section of the empire. So the empire is really a collection of autonomous kingdoms. And as long as the money goes to the empire, mm -hmm. and as long as the soldiers go to the empire, the emperor doesn't care. So I can't see the empire all being the way we're always shown in the movies, because we're only ever really shown like one or two systems on the one or two planets on the outer rim, and then the course. That's all we ever really get to see. And so I had this idea of this kid on this planet and they're like an agricultural world. And during the Clone Wars, he knows that if the Trade Federation and the Separatists take over, the Techno Union, they're done. Like, it's over for them. So they sided with the Republic. And then when the Republic was destroyed and they became the Empire, the only reason they even survived was because of the Republic. So, of course, they're going to be loyal to the Empire. Why wouldn't they be? Right. And our main protagonist, the very opening sentence is, when I was 17, I joined the Empire. And and then over the next three minutes, he explains why. And there's such a similarity there 
between these kids that volunteered to go fight in Vietnam and millions and millions of people, not just humans, but Mary Allen, Twilik, et cetera, that went and fought for the empire. Because in the movies, we have this idea, and we're always shown that the Galactic Empire is just humans. They're so xenophobic. But when anybody who's read the Expanded Universe, that's not really how it was. It was very different. The empire was much similar to the Roman Empire, and that if it works, we do it. And it was different depending on where you were in the different parts of the empire, right. you know? And that was where I really started to build this story. And it wasn't about these guys trying to save the universe or twist the, the fate of billions. It's a bunch of teenagers that signed on the dotted line and are trying not to get killed. Yeah. That's it. That's the story. Well, I, I'll, I'll tell you, I, you killed my second question automatically because I, I had made the comparison between Mud 79 and films like Platoon and Hamburger Hill uh, yeah. just a couple of days ago when I was I was telling listeners that you were going to come on the show and I, I was going to ask was this done on purpose and it sounds like it absolutely was it, it was there's really two big influences when I was putting the book together um, the Eastern Front in the Second World War mm -hmm. I read two books written from the thing is, I wanted to read books written from the Russian perspective, but you can't really find any. Yeah. Um, because anybody who's read about what happened during the Second World War on the Eastern Front will know that there was no real difference in terms of brutality between the Nazis and the Soviets. Like, they, mm. it was seven-eighths of the casualties in the Second World War were on the Eastern Front. The numbers of people that died, it, it's... It's un the numbers are hard to understand. Yeah. Um, we all hear about Stalingrad, but that was just one part. One part, and it was it was four years of that. Yeah. That's what people don't realize. And so there's a book called Blood Red Snow, which is oddly enough very funny, even though it's dealing with some very dark things. You can tell this guy's coping method was his sense of humor, um, and it's written about this guy who was a German soldier retreating and. After reading that book, Blood Red Snow, I kind of started to formulate this idea that the, the imperial battle tactics are very similar to Russian battle tactics, like mm -hmm. the Soviet military model. So that was a big influence on the story. But the vast majority of research and reading that I've done has been the Vietnam War. And I did that specifically because when you're listening to Mud 79, this planet, Seston it's a planet that is predominantly a planet of convenience. There is some agriculture there, but not a lot. It's not a really big habited world. There's only 4 million people on it. Mm -hmm. um, most of them Twi'lek, because it was originally a Twi'lek colony. We discussed that in the book. But a lot of human stuff as well. And it's on a trade route. It's on a confluence of trade routes. And there's also... Two or, there's three other planets in the system that are perfect for growing this specific type of grape that is this wine, and it's the best wine in the galaxy. And a lot of the elite, elite members of, of the Imperial Senate were getting upset that so much piracy in the system was preventing shipments of wine from getting to them that the Empire moves into secure trade lines. And if you've done any reading about global events, 
you'd be amazed at how often it is that just the person who makes the donations to the right guy gets their way. Yeah. And so the empire goes in to secure trade routes. But there's also this mineral being mined that is used in the production of low-grade cloaking devices. And the empire was all about control, and they can't have people that they don't want in control of that resource. So they go down on this planet, and they start realizing that not everybody on this planet is happy about being under imperial rule, and violence starts to happen. And that nature of no front line, of just being pocket, and you don't really know who's on your side and who, who isn't, you know? I, I, that's very prevalent in Vietnam, and I read... I've read about a dozen Vietnam War memoirs mm-hmm. at this point. Um, there's, I started reading a lot about uh, the the Mac V. Sog guy. One particular writer, well, not a writer, he was in Mac V. Sog, and he went on to become one of like the go-to guys to get hostages in crisis situations and kidnapping rescues. Um, Nick Brockhausen is his name. Okay. And I'm not like he expresses some opinions of things that I do not share, but he really does not hold back when he's talking about the firefights and the tactics. And that when you're in this situation, this is what you do. Yeah. When you're in this situation, this is what you don't do. Yeah. And his stories, like the way he described the war, I was like, that feeling is what I want to create because. He talks about there's 14 of them and 200 of them, and they're all get shot at, and you need to get to this point where you're all dead. This is what you do. Yeah. And it's really, it was really fascinating, really harrowing stuff that these people went through. And the more I've read about Max B. Sog and uh, intelligence operators and uh, it's secure and observation group, like, it's, it's wild, man. I, I can't recommend We Few... And Whispers in the Tall Grass, his two books that he wrote, enough. Yeah. Because um, he'll go from a firefight where everyone's dying to buying monkeys and feeding them, like, tampons to make them crazy from hormones so they can use them to steal somebody's car. Jesus it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a wild book, man. Oh, okay. Wow. All right. That's not what I was expecting you to say to finish that thought. Okay. Yep. Well, there you go. But the series itself has is really fantastic. You've done a wonderful job from the writing to the voice acting to the sound design. Uh, How how many episodes are there and how many people have you uh, dragged into this pursuit with you? The 10th episode just dropped today. Mm -hmm. um, And I'm currently working on the 12th episode, which is the finale of the first season. So I created a three arc story Mm -hmm. um, and this is the end of the first arc and it does not end well. I'm just going to warn everybody. It's not a happy ending and it really, it can't be a happy ending considering where we have to go. Um, And by the end of the third act, the empire will be behaving like the empire you are used to. But I, I want to reflect that that's not a reflection of all the individuals that are in the story. Mm-hmm. They're just the guys there trying not to die. They're not the ones calling the shots. Yeah. 
And there's a lot of moral ambiguity in this story, which is why I really try and focus with a laser point on my character, which can be tough because one of the arguments I have with my with my editor a lot, and she says that it's like you've taken away your principal character's agency. And that can be rough for me because you can't have a guy who is the bottom of the ladder making the decision. Right. That's never how it works. Yeah. He doesn't he doesn't become a paper boat though. It's not, no, not it's at all. not it's not a matter of him just uh floating along where the tide of the story takes him. So I yeah. you know, I think you've done a good job of that. Um so so how many how many people have you uh, dragged into this with you? Um forty three. Forty three. Forty three people have done voice work for it. Wow. Um I'm I'm starting to I posted a Twitter feed for the for the show, just Star Wars Mud seventy nine, and I did that because the hardest thing for me was telling people where to go to find it. So now you know it's got its own Twitter feed. And right now, because I'm in this really like retrospective emotional point because I've put so many like hundreds of hours of work into this. Yeah. That I'm like starting to give thanks to my cast members. And the very first person that I got on board was this voice actor, Marilla Wax, and she voices Sergeant Jutala in the story. And, um, when she, I was kind of on the fence about even doing it because I started to realize how much work was involved. Right. But when she was like, this is a fantastic idea. Cause I was like, basically it's an auditory war memoir. It's not a radio play per se. Mm-hmm. It's like an audio drama with a single perspective with other people chiming in. She's like, that, that's very unique and you need to do it. Yeah. And I'm like, do you want to do some voice work? And I'm warning you, there's no money involved. There is no money. I have no money to pay anybody. She was like, I love Star Wars. I'll 100% do it. Excellent. So that's it. And then Sean Hatton was the second guy. Because um, I wanted people that understood how to use microphones, yeah. which would make my job a lot easier. Yeah. And Sean was a very smart get on my on my plate because he's, he's the most positive an infectiously positive guy you can meet and I have never I have never not seen Sean Hatton smiling. Yeah. Even <laughs> when he's like chirping somebody, he's smiling. Which yeah. is the best part. So I and there's been times where I've it's overwhelming and sometimes you feel like you're putting these hours and you're sending something out into the void, but Sean's always the guy who's like, It's worth it. You know, you're doing something. You're creating something amazing. It's yeah. worth it. So yeah. That was huge, and another big boost for me on a moral and morale standpoint, I should say. Um, they both came, the emails from these two came one after another, um, with Heather Antos, who's an editor at Valiant, yep. and Andrew Wheeler from Toronto. Oh, um, yeah, Andrew, yeah. I, I wanted Andrew because of his voice. Right. Oh, God, his voice. And I wanted Heather... Because I wanted somebody who loves Star Wars. And she was the editor for Star Wars at Marvel. So when she said, I'm in it, like, I was like, well, if someone like her believes in what I'm doing, then I'm going to, I'm going to go. I'm going to keep going. So now we're, we're, it's over nine hours of playtime at this point. Yeah. And, uh, it's, it's, I feel really good about it. I just wish more people would think it's really all it is. Yeah. 
I, I love that as you're recruiting your friends to get this done, I love that every episode includes that I've heard so far. I'm not, I'm not finished the ones that have come out yet. Um, every episode that I've heard includes you apologizing for the hoops that you're asking these folks to jump through to see your vision come to life, which is the most Canadian thing I've ever seen you do. (laughs) So I'm, I'm sorry, sorry, sorry. You're doing lovely work. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. (laughs) Well, the thing is, is that there's been times where people have sent me like eight minutes of VO that they're not getting paid to do. Yeah. And then I have to be like, I need you to do that again. It just doesn't sound good. Nope. Do it again. Yeah. No, Um, I, I, I know that feeling from running wrestling shows and occasionally because see, you have the benefit of it being, um, of being an audio recording. So you, you get it, you listen to it and you can take a moment to say, Hmm, how can I phrase this to them? Whereas I've had times where like guys are coming back into the locker room from a match and they, they didn't get the thing I needed. Right. And I was like, fuck you, go back the fuck out there and hit him with a chair in the head. <laughs> yeah. It's not quite like, not quite, quite like that. A little, a little, so, a little more live theater. <laughs> yeah. It, it, the, the thing is, is I had a real, I had a real moral crisis oh. when I was doing it because the main character in my head is Asian. He's actually based on a character that's mentioned in, um, we few. Okay. He's a, a Montagnard tribesman. And that's who the character is based on. And I'm really, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm a woke guy. I'm a very progressive minded guy. And, and I want to, I'm, I really thoroughly believe representation matters. And yeah. I would love to have somebody who's Asian doing that line. Like the, the main character, the narration. Yeah. But what an asshole move that would be to get somebody to do literally like 24, 25 hours <laughs> of straight voice work and then not pay them a cent about it. Yeah. Like that's a hor- that'd be a horrible move. So when it's me, I have no problem of redoing a line nine, 10, 20 times right. if I need to. To get the inflection right so the audio is consistent, but I'm not going to get somebody else to do it. That's not cool. <laughs> uh, speaking of cool, uh, you are also a comic book writer. Yeah. And I want you right now, give us the elevator pitch for your book, The Fourth Planet. Um, a shipload of humans crash land on a planet that is at the dawn of the industrial age. There you go. That's the best I can do. Well, <laughs> when, when, when was the last time? When was the last time somebody somebody called on you to give the elevator pitch for the fourth planet? At a con, man. I can give you the con pitch, but it's like three sentences. I don't know if it. Oh, give, give us so, give us the three sentences. Okay, so it's it's a thousand years in the future, and humanity is a slave race, and a shipload of escaped human slaves crashes on a planet with three warring alien races, and the most advanced of them have just begun using gunpowder. And when the humans arrive, even though there's only like 500 of them, they're like gods on this planet. And they're kind of put in this position where in order to survive, they're almost forced to become what they're running away from. Mm -hmm. So that's how I always sell it when I'm at my table. See that now to me, that's that's the elevator pitch. 
that's, I think so. That's abs. That's that's perfect. So they've uh, they've got a, a, a they've got a starship, and uh, and I'm guessing a buttload of weapons, and and well, yeah. all the people around them are are using uh, clubs and spears and and a, a few flintlock rifles. Yeah, man, that was uh, that story I started working on because um, I wanted to be a paleocultural anthropologist. I wanted to study the origins of human culture, like. There's this weird point in, in the evolutionary chain well, that we know of, mm-hmm. and it's where humans just left the bodies of the dead to rot. Like They just left them everywhere. And then there's this 10,000-year window, which in terms of evolutionary terms is like it's tiny. And all around the globe this started happening. People started burying the dead, and they didn't just bury them. They buried them with things. Yeah. So there's this switch in the brain that suddenly makes people think that after you die, there's something else. I thought that was really interesting, and I wanted to study what happened. And so part of, like, the... I I, I never did that, obviously, because yeah. I couldn't afford that much university, but <laughs> I, I, one of the, I've got a lot of books. Uh, Desmond Morris is this British cultural anthropologist who's... He's, oh, I love his books. They're a little bit antiquated at this point, but they're really... They're really interesting in that he's never answering things. He's just building on to more questions is what he likes to do. Yeah. Um, and there's part, there's this point in human evolution, like we're talking like Australopithecine, late Australopithecines, early hominids, where there were three types of humans on the, on the planet at the same time. Three different, and not three different races of the same species, three completely different species, all with a similar ancestor. And one of them was really large and strong, but very sedentary. One of them was really tall, fast, and elegant. And one of them, who are our ancestors, were small, scrawny, but a jack-of-all-trades. They could go anywhere and do anything. They could survive anywhere. Yeah. And as, the, as ice ages hit and climates changed, they were the ones that survived. And so... When I started working on the fourth planet, I, I thought it would be cool to have these three vastly different species on a planet, and how would they interact? And it was also I took influence from the when the Spanish landed in Mexico and wiped out the Aztecs. Because mm-hmm. one of the things that people always forget about that that point in history is it wasn't like the Spanish just landed. And then killed everybody. No, they did it by piecemeal. So what they did is the Aztecs were not at all liked by anyone. No one liked the Aztecs because the Aztecs killed everybody. That's what happens when you're the best. Everyone hates you because you're killing people and sacrificing them by the hundreds every day. So the Spanish just came along and were like, hey, we'll help you kill them. Got to help us. So that's how they did it. And so I sort of had the human sort of take the role as Spanish in the story and the various like alien races represent like the different tribes while maintaining that humanity evolution point with three different alien races so so yeah there's a lot going on with the I, I, I just like the idea that uh, we, we as a species we, we at some point we didn't bury our dead we just left them where they fell well, we had this animalistic way of thinking. Yeah. Like, what well, is it about? There's, there's one anthropologist who said that the 
the benchmark of society. This is how you can tell from skeletons and remnants and archaeological remains mm. when a society is formed, when there's healed femur bone. Because when the femur breaks, you're immobile. You can't do anything. Yeah. But if there's a culture, a society, they will look after their wounded uh, until they heal. Okay. So that means that you are not just a value now. You are a value to us in the future. And that's such a cool and very simple way of looking at things. That's, like, yeah, I, I would never have thought of that myself, but that's that's fantastic. That, that's why we're not doctors, man. Yeah, that's but I, I just I like the idea. I like the idea that amongst some of these tribes, te- you know, thousands of years ago, <laughs> tens of thousands of years ago, that if you die and fall on the ground, they leave you there, and you become like a signpost, like a landmark. For when you're giving your fellow tribesmen directions. If you want to find the apple grove, you go down the valley. When you find when you find Murray's dead body up against the rock, make a left. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's like, That's I got lost. Animals must have dragged him away. So- <laughs> yeah, well now you can't find now you can't find the apple. I don't know what you're doing now. Now, uh now the fourth planet, um, was I, I lost myself in my notes here? Uh, I, I've uh, most people that have been within earshot of my voice at a comic convention's artist alley have heard my opinion of them, but I want to know how was your experience working with the publisher of the Fourth Planet, Chapter House Comics? Uh, <laughs> jackpot. <laughs> You know, I'm not, I wouldn't slag anyone personally. Um, I will say Mm. that rarely has a company had more of an opportunity and kind of dropped the ball with it. And I think that it's frustrating because there was so much enthusiasm to have a Canadian imprint again. Like there was so much. Yeah. And I, I will, Everybody's got their own take, but I was in before the chapter verse. So I was like, there was like four creator-owned titles that were coming out. Mm-hmm. And there was, there was Spirit Leaves, there was Pitiful Human Lizard, there was The Fourth Planet, and I forget the name of the other one. There was one other like creator-owned series that they were doing. And the thing was, is all four of our books were doing gangbusters we were doing fantastic Mm -hmm. like the first issue of the fourth planet was sold out man which is awesome like that's huge and so it sold out and then the second issue came out delayed because they were pushing other stuff Mm -hmm. and then like so they're already delayed and then they announced the chapter verse and this, I need to say, all of this is hearsay. I don't know anything, yeah. any of this that was happening, because I wasn't in those conversations, and I didn't want to be in those conversations. Mm-hmm. But I just thought it was really frustrating that you've got these creator-owned books that are doing great, and you can grow really slow with those books, like riding their coattails and championing the properties that are doing really well for you already. And then you go and you try and launch 
this massive shared superhero universe, which, dude, if you look at comic book history, how many people have tried to do that and failed miserably? Yeah. You know? I've been so part of many. one of those. <laughs> so many, man. And it's just like, what? I, I don't know. And they had monster talent yeah. contributing to them. And it was like, if you have that many names contributing to it, mm-hmm. And you're not able to make it work, like buddy. And and it's just to this day, it's it's a very infuriating thing. And yeah. um, so the, it was yeah. It's just, dude. It's upsetting to me, man. It really is. Uh, I know that I feel bad for Lou. Things have worked out substantially well for Lou since then. So Jason Lou, yeah. Yeah. I don't. I don't feel so bad for him anymore. Yeah, once uh, he but, gets, uh, once he gets that, uh, that 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 box in the mail with his uh, his fucking Eisner Award in it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't. Give you like, yeah, I don't feel bad for you about nothing no more, pal. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's like Rossi Gifford, like Spirit Leaves was doing so good, and it was such a great book, and it looked so nice, and that yeah. was the thing is. Chapter House was putting out the quality of the products that they were putting out was so good. Like, man, we'll get, you want to get comic book nerdy. They were using fantastic paper stock. Yeah. Like everything about it was great. And they had such an opportunity to foster this Canadian comic book community. And then it just became, we're all about the chapter verse. Remember that character that no one remembers? Well, guess what? Yeah. They got a series, and Jim Zub is writing it. It's like, cool, <laughs> Neo, and then it's like, but it's print delayed by six months. Yeah, so wait for it. It's like, <laughs> but no. here, here's the thing. Here's the thing. The problem with Chapter House wasn't that. What you're talking about is the start of the problems. Where I came in with them was, I think. Uh, leading up to the death blow, which was that, uh, that the publisher, the, the, the select individual whose name we don't say, uh, <laughs> the publisher, it seemed like he was, um, signing every indie book he could get his hands on. Yeah, and, there was a, I, I have heard a lot of that. Now, I, I again, I need to say I don't know any of yeah. it. I just know there was a. Your what you're saying is are things that I have heard. Right. So I came to. They came after me, hoping that I would bring the first hero to them. Now, the first hero was parked at Action Lab Comics out of uh, out of the states, and that is a whole heart wrenching saga of its own but similar to what happened at Chapter House. But uh, they were coming after me to try and bring them the first hero, and I moved them to... Uh, I moved their interest to Heroes of Homeroom C. They, I kept saying, you know, send me something on paper, send me something on paper, and we'll discuss it. I, At one point, I had to say, listen... Every couple of months, I see you at a convention or at a store, and you say this same thing to me. Shit or get off the pot. Fucking send me something. They finally did. I had to. I had to pay my lawyer to rewrite it into English. It was so horribly copied and pasted from other documents. 
when we sat down again to actually to to sign the documents like i went to meet them to sign the contracts they changed their numbers on me in the meeting they changed the numbers and i got up and i walked away and then i you know i spoke to uh, there were there were people that i'll tell you i warned off of them because after that meeting i had an awful telephone conversation with the publisher uh in which he was uh clearly inebriated and very insulting and um uh, and it was less, I, I why would i do business with you you're uh, a friend of mine uh, a creator in the states i told him the whole saga in excruciating detail and his response was something along the lines of uh it sounds like uh it sounds like a a a new company that's already on the downslide stay away and it's a shame it's a shame because the opportunity they had the energy they had early on was phenomenal you know 100 percent like that like we're as a Canadian kid, it's like we don't got cash in America. And Alpha Flight's cool and all, but yeah, it's not Canadian. You know, yeah. it's an American creation about Canada. Whereas Captain Canuck was Canadian for all of his cheesiness. Yeah. And then you had Ed Brisson writing Captain Canuck stories because he just loves the property. Yeah, you've got Calvin Androsovsky creating one of the best superhero costumes I have ever seen yes and it's just uh yeah but yeah but dude i'm pulling into my driveway <laughs> okay so then i've got one i got one last question for you here and you're gonna have to sit in your car for a second i will you also have a fantastic i set off the open that you you know you're you're the afternoon jock for q107 fantastic yeah been listening to the station like since i was eight or nine you have a fantastic relationship with your fans and your haters alike. And one of my favorite things about you is how you deal with hate mail that comes to you at Q107 by responding to it in videos on Instagram. And hate I, listener complaint theater, yeah. Yes, I have to know, how did that start? And do you have a personal favorite hate letter? Um... It started because it was like a bit of therapy. I start, like, I, I, I keep my hate mail. Like, I, I hold on to it because I think it's very funny nice. if anybody gets that mad about things. But, um, I did it in March and it was right at the beginning of COVID was the first time I did it. Yeah. Uh, and it's because listener complaint theater works when it's a back and forth with the listener. And it, it it's like the more irate they are, the funnier it becomes. There's some hate mail that's just not funny. It's dumb. Um, so my all-time favorite hate mail uh, is this. He's this one guy that just, I don't think that he th- knows I'm making fun of him. Like, I don't think he gets it. <laughs> I think he thinks that we're friends, but he will, like, he'll, like, complain and send me these ridiculous theories. He's always trying to get me to go on parlor now. That's his big thing. Parlor. Jesus. And so I'm That's always, all oh. you need to know about this dude. So I'm always <laughs> responding with that that I I've, I've said this on social before is that uh 
that's a really interesting theory. I've never thought about it that way. <laughs> and he's where that came from. Okay. I have said that to him like nine or ten times, and he still doesn't get it at this point. <laughs> it's ridiculous. <laughs> Fantastic. Okay, you're in your driveway. I'm gonna let you. Uh, I'm gonna let you go. Fearless Fred Kennedy, my friend. Uh, thank you very much for coming on the Handsome Genius Club. Tell us where people can find you online, and tell them where they can find Mud Seventy Nine. You can find me at Fearless underscore Fred on Twitter and on Instagram, and you can find Mud79 at Star Wars Mud79. Excellent. Fred Kennedy, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you, buddy. Okay, kids, that's it for Thursday. Uh, tomorrow is the Patreon-exclusive episode for the week, and then, uh, fingers crossed, if all things go according to Hoyle, we'll be back on Monday here for everybody with Kate Max. Uh, until then, please, for the love of God, take care of each other. Find some good trouble to get into. Your Uncle Kingdom loves you.